Bredo, for years our Sydney-based wellness couch fans have been saying, when are you coming to Sydney? Oh, they've been banging the door down, MP. Well, Sydney Ciders, we'll be in your neck of the woods on Saturday, June the 2nd. We're going out of the CBD, we're heading straight down the highway to the regions of the Illawarra and the beautiful town of Kiama for our third and final wellness base camp of the year. Join Fuad Kassab from Quirky Cooking to talk all about food, naturopath, gut guru and female health extraordinaire, Helen Patteron. Stress is a hot topic with Dr. Maria Zushman and you and I, Bredo, are talking about succeeding at life and love and work at the same time as succeeding in health because there is no wellness in a life that doesn't feel good. Zazen Alkaline Water presents the Wellness Base Camp, one full day of inspiration and education on Saturday, June 2 from 10 till 5. There's over 1000 bucks in door prizes, a raft of world-class local exhibitors and a room full of people just like you. Bring a buddy and get two tickets for the price of one before they're all gone. All details and tickets at thewellnessbasecamp.com. That's thewellnessbasecamp.com. Welcome to Homebase Hope, all about autism, the show that invites you to think differently, inspires you to take a whole child approach, and most of all, instills hope when it comes to your child and autism. I'm your host, Rhiannon Crisp, from homebasehope.com.au. Let's get into it. Hi guys, and welcome back to another really exciting and really empowering episode of Homebase Hope. I can't wait to dive into to today's episode because I know that today's message will hit home for every single one of you. Children on the spectrum think differently. They experience challenges with social situations and often these beautiful souls who more than anything just want to connect and feel included are misunderstood and become the victims of exclusion and bullying. Today we are talking to a beautiful mother of a child on the spectrum. She says she is not a doctor, a psychologist or a therapist, but she has lived and breathed autism for the past 21 years with her son Richard. She is an absolute trailblazer creating her own trail in the autism world by demanding inclusion and settling for nothing less. Today I have the pleasure of speaking to the inspirational Randa Hebelry. Randa is an author, speaker, advocate and advisor. She is the author of the book Dealing with Autism and founder of the Mates Program. As the proud mother of a child with autism who graduated high school, Randa teaches how you can make a difference in the world today. She openly shares her journey and embraces the philosophy of different, not less by Temple Grandin. Randa's years of experience in working with the challenges of raising a child with special needs sparked her passion to help others understand the unique needs of fellow parents. She speaks at schools, universities and conferences, fostering the leadership skills of her audience and facilitates a shift from awareness of social exclusion to inclusion. Welcome, Randa. Thank you, Rhiannon. How are you? Really good, really good. Oh, it's so exciting to have you on the show today. I can't wait to um, to get stuck into it all. Yeah, it's great to, to talk to somebody who gets it. So thank you for having me on the show. Oh, what a pleasure. Now, I'd love to start with your journey. So if we can rewind the clock a little bit, um, I'd love to get a glimpse of what how your autism journey began. 
Well, I knew Rich had autism when he was really young. He he is my second child, so I had something to sort of use as a uh, as a reference point. And when he wasn't making eye contact, he wasn't waving back, and he, you know he wasn't doing those reciprocal things. I thought something's wrong, and I had only just heard of autism re- recently. Remember, this was 21 years ago. So I thought, could it be, does he have autism? He did have a number of other issues. He had a, an awful birth, a mismanaged delivery, and he had loads of issues. And I thought, could autism be one of them? And I brought that up with the professionals and they said, oh, no, darling, you're just being paranoid. Um, and we don't diagnose that till much later. Well, I wasn't prepared to accept that because I just knew in my gut that this was the issue. So I started reading up on it. And the more I read, the more I thought, this is my son. Um, so I taught myself. Um, I, I found some alternative therapies and we started our own programs at home. I had to do the parent training and so did my husband. And we implemented it and got him going. He finally did get an autism diagnosis. I think from memory he would have been about three or four when we finally got the formal diagnosis but by then I wasn't really interested in the formal diagnosis because I w- I knew um, and it was probably more for school we needed it more for school um, so from you know no he doesn't have autism you're just being paranoid to well he's probably on the moderate to the severe end um, yeah, but uh, we had been doing the therapy and thank God we had. And they say you can't move along the spectrum. Well, I'll, I'm here to tell you you can. Um, and we have moved him along. I thought I'd get him over the line, but I didn't. He's mild, and but that's okay. He's just the most wonderful human being, my biggest blessing and my biggest teacher. And I'm just... So proud of him, so proud of the young man he is today and so thrilled um, that he's given me a new perspective on life, on what's important and um, really on beauty. Yeah, wow, that's amazing. And I think your story would resonate, like I said, with so many other parents, even when you said that, um, you know, the pediatricians will tell you at the start, no, you're just um, overanalyzing things to um, even what you said about getting the diagnosis for school reasons. Um, And I think they're common things that are experienced by parents. Yep. Sorry, you were cutting out just a tiny Uh, bit. You repeat the question? Yeah, no, I was just saying that I think um, parents typically um, will investigate a diagnosis when it comes to school age because that's when it starts to become important um, yes. and they need it for schooling. Yeah. Yeah, yeah but but unfortunately or fortunately with autism, you know, the critical period um, is before school. You know, early intervention is key. Um, so... Professionals are really doing our kids a big disservice by saying, oh, we, we have to wait. So even if they don't give a formal diagnosis, at least give, you know, let parents know that, yeah, maybe you should look into it further or start looking at intervention. Um, it's a bit of a catch-22, I know, but um, I think I think parents have to go with their gut. If they think there's an issue, investigate it. Mm. 
I totally agree. And I suppose, um, you know, from a parent's concern, even if they don't come out with a label or, you know, fit into a certain diagnostic box, at least if they are, you know, obviously there are challenges in terms of social skills or whatever it was that Richard was um, having challenges with, you know, give strategies and interventions for those things, even if they're not fitting into that that box at that time. Sorry, you out again. I heard still give strategy. Uh, that's all right. Let's head, let's head to school. Um, what was Richard's experience at school? Because you talk very openly about the schooling experience for Richard. Yes. Um, well, we homeschooled him initially. We taught him to read and write and do basic maths. He was above peer level going into school. We didn't start him at kindy. Um, in fact, we started him at the end of kindy. Uh, and even then, um, it was only two hours a day. Um, so really, he started school in year one. It was horrific, to say the least. Um The school wasn't prepared for him. Um, The principal wasn't on board, wasn't on our side. Um, His teacher wasn't trained, equipped or interested. And interestingly, kids read those cues and if the teachers aren't interested, well, the kids won't be interested. And he was bullied horrifically in those um, few months that he was at his first school. Uh, We did pull him out because he was interestingly suspended for kicking in defence as he was being dragged into the toilets, kicking and screaming. Um, we were told that violence is not tolerated at our school, uh, but it was okay that he was being dragged into the toilets. But anyway, um, you know, we cut our losses and didn't want to fight a system that really didn't want him. We continued homeschooling him. He was quite uh, distraught at that. You know, imagine when your son tells you, Mummy, I promise I won't kick the boys when they're dragging me in the toilets. Please let me go back to school. That's heartbreaking. Uh, But we looked for a school that was um, inclusive, a school where the principal wanted to work with us in partnership and we were so lucky we found that school and he started in year two and he just thrived, loved it. But again, we only um, had him going for two hours a day and we continued with homeschooling and various other therapies. We did Dome and Sunrise, ABA, so we conti- and speech therapy. All, all, anything we could find, we did. Um, not all at the same time, of course, um, but we continued our homeschooling and therapy at home. And slowly, slowly, over his primary school years, we built that up. But he didn't start a full day of school until year six. Um, so we, we sort of... we read Richard's needs, the school's needs, and, you know, we worked together with the school. But we had a full-time aide accompany him um, at school at all times, and we funded that aide. Um, In fact, it was a condition of his enrolment because, again, back then, mainstream schools weren't... I think they were obliged, you know, legally, but it wasn't the norm. Um, We were still in the very new sort of category. So we were trying to find our way they were trying to find their way uh, and that was the compromise Mm. it's interesting you did the split between homeschooling and main was it mainstream schooling or was it special yep 
It was mainstream. Now, uh, Richard could, would, could not, would not have coped with a full day at a mainstream school. Um, he is very social. I think it was because we started uh, therapy so early or intervention so early. He just loved chatting, speaking, not always appropriately, but he loved the interaction. So he didn't like to be at home with either myself or the therapist or whoever we had. He wanted to be at school. For him, it was almost a punishment not to be at school. So we had to find that balance. Um, we knew he couldn't cope with a full day, um, but we knew that he wasn't going to learn an awful lot uh, at school. So we did we did the, the split and we were lucky that the school was quite happy with that situation. I think they were extremely happy about the situation that they only had to really deal with it with Rich for a short time. Yeah, well, I think, you know, that was 21 years ago. Oh, well, it wasn't that long ago really now, was it? How, when did he finish high school? <laughs> ago? Three years ago he yeah. high school. Yeah, but even now, like with the young kids starting school, I'm finding a lot of parents are opting for homeschooling because either one, the bullying and the, and the child cannot cope, or two, um, the school and the staff aren't understanding um, of the condition and the, the, the challenges that the child has at school and how they can best, best support them. Well, that's the thing, and, and I feel for the teachers, I really, really do. This is not an us and them thing. I, I've always approached school and teachers as um, a, a partnership, and I really feel very strongly that our teachers need more support in in the form of training, they're untrained, in the form of resources, they need aids, in the form of funding to fund whatever ideas they may come up with or whatever programs that need to be implemented. So without the, the resources, the funding, the training, they cannot perform. How can they be expected to not only meet the curriculum, the demands of the curriculum, look after you know 25 to 30 kids, sometimes more, plus uh, give attention to a child with autism in their class. It's just unreasonable. Uh, so to just throw our kids in there without the proper support and training is just wrong. And that needs to be addressed at a, a state and national level. Um, you know, it, it's even beyond the principal level. And I, I'm really quite bewildered as to how anybody with any authority can expect our teachers to cope with this. Um, I, I do uh, workshops and trainings at, um, at universities and I speak to the fourth year education students and before I start I always ask the lecturer where would you like me to, to start at what level because I don't want to start with what is autism when they've already done you know a term or, or whatever on it. And invariably, I'm told to start at the beginning because they don't really spend much time on autism. Well, to me, that's just bizarre. These are the teachers who are going to be looking after our kids that the next year, and they they have such little training. So it's it's the training needs to be revised, the funding needs to be revised. And I don't know, you know, who to speak with, you know, are the ministers listening? Who's in charge here that makes these decisions? Mm, I absolutely agree. 
I know, I know I've got some teacher friends and they feel exactly the same way that they don't have, they don't have the understanding or the supports in place to be able to, um, yeah, best teach um, children who are on the spectrum. Mm. That's right. I've had feedback after a one-hour presentation. The students, uh, the university students will come down and, and tell me, thank you so much. We had a real fear of encountering a student with autism but just by you going through these processes and just giving us a little bit of um, a window into the mind of a child with autism has made us feel a lot less apprehensive that's after a one-hour presentation now teachers most teachers go into the profession because they genuinely want to mold our children's learning future out their outlook so they want to do the right thing and it's not fair just throwing them into that environment unsupported and then what happens is you know they get frustrated the parents get frustrated and it becomes an us and them situation rather than a partnership approach Mm, absolutely absolutely let's jump now to the video that you created now this was a few years back um And the video was to challenge the wider community to be kinder to children with autism and their families. And for any of the listeners out there, if you're not familiar with Randa's Inclusion for Autism video, I suggest you jump straight onto YouTube after listening to this podcast and check it out. But um, make sure you have a box of tissues handy because um, it definitely brings a few tears to the eye. So um, yeah, can you tell us about the video that you created? Sure. Well, when when Rich was in high school, it was a fabulous high school. The the principal is one of our family's heroes. We love him. Uh, The teachers were amazing. The special needs team, brilliant. But the adults cannot replace the peer, peer interaction and friendship that our kids crave. Just because our kids find it hard to make social interactions doesn't mean they don't want any. And Rich was lonely at school. And here's the thing. I don't think kids by nature are nasty. I think they just don't know what to do or how to interact with our kids. So it's probably just easier to distance themselves. So Rich was alone at lunchtime pretty much every day. And he'd come home and say, Mum, why am I alone? And... There wasn't much I could say that, you know, as a mother, you can only call the school so many times and bring up issues before you feel you're becoming a real pain in the, in the, anyway. Um, So you, you think twice before ringing. But he came home one day and he was all smiles. And I said, Rich, what happened? He said, oh, guess what, mum? I wasn't alone today at school. I said, fabulous. Tell me all about it. And he said, oh, okay, um, well, I was walking around the playground like I normally do and my friends called out my name and they threw a pear at my head and they laughed with me and I was just devastated. I had to turn away. I didn't want him to see me cry. Um, I don't know whether he understood he was being bullied or whether he thought that any interaction was better than no interaction. Because for anyone who's experienced extreme loneliness, even a negative interaction is better than nothing. So I thought, right, (laughs) what I wanted to do was go down to the school gate and just ask the boys why. You can't go down and confront students. You'd probably be arrested. 
So um, I thought, how else could I, can I speak directly to them? And I thought, social media. Back then, I was a social media newbie, so I called my daughter down and I said, Emily, you've got to help me. I've written out because I've, I've just I got the old cards that I use I used to teach Richard to read, and I just wrote out all these statements. They were just statements, and I just went for it and wrote whatever came to my mind. And Emily looked at them and said, "Mum, there's a few spelling mistakes in some of these." I said, "Oh, don't worry. No, no one's going to see. No one's going to see this video." Little did I know, I wish I'd fixed the spelling mistakes because it's gone around the world. And um, anyway, she helped me create this video, which we put out. And people from the US, were principals from the US were contacting me, asking me for permission to use it. A mum in South Africa asked if she could remake it for her black child featuring her daughter it's been used as a teaching tool in lots of schools and um, you know I'm, I'm really pleased it even won a, a prize in uh, the Nova focus on ability short film awards and um, what was it, the message what nerve. was the message of the the clip the message is hey guys can you just be nice to my son to our kids who are doing it tough can you maybe even protect them from bullying can you just smile at them can you just and also there was a message for parents because I've been abused um in parks mothers mothers have come up to me and said please take your child home because he's scaring my child the thing is Richard doesn't get personal space so if he wants to talk to you he can come up a bit too close to you and that scared this child and the mother was very upset um so she asked me to leave the park and stupidly back then i did um i've been reprimanded in shopping centers by men they they'll approach me and and tell me that i don't have i my parenting skills are so bad um how can i bring this child out when he's having a meltdown probably because of overstimulation or whatever you know instead of offering to assist there was one time when um you know one lady came up to me um and said i've learned more about parenting in watching you than i have from anything else that made my day made my week um it made the situation bearable it just it brought me to tears and she said oh, i didn't mean to upset you i said no no thank you so much and and that's what i'm uh, that's what i ask in the video just you know be kind. Be kind to the mum, be kind to the child um, and just be a little inclusive. That kindness goes such a long way. And, and in, in my book, uh, you know, I talk about um, one incident where one student phoned Richard and to this day Richard talks about this one phone call from a fellow student. It impacted him so greatly. So you'd be surprised what a, just the smallest act of kindness can do. Yeah, well, I love, 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 love your video. It was amazing. And I've seen it's had over 15,000 views. So I think the message is definitely getting out there. Oh, great, great. Thank you. Now, let's, in terms of bullying, what, what kinds of bullying are you seeing? Well, there's two kinds of bullying. There's a really obvious kind of bullying that's, that's 
active bullying, you know, the name calling or the the physical um, or the tripping over or taking the lunch, that's the bullying that most people refer to. Then there's the passive bullying, and that is equally as scarring, um, perhaps not with physical scars, but definitely with emotional and um, mental scars. And that passive bullying is just um, that social exclusion. Uh, imagine what it's like to not have anyone speak to you all day. And often in, in a teacher workshop situation, I'll, I'll ask the teachers, just, you know, close your eyes and imagine that you've, you've walked into the staff room, the school staff room, and you've put your gear down at your desk and you've said, good morning, everybody, and nobody's returned your greeting. And you think, okay. So you make yourself a cup of tea and, and you try and have a chit-chat. No one's talking to you. So you go to your class, you teach your class, you come back, morning tea time, you sit down at the staff table and, and with your cup of tea, and as soon as you sit down, the person next to you gets up and moves. You think, oh, it's a bit weird. What's going on? What's wrong with me? You try and interact with someone else and they turn away. So you go to your next class, and in that next class, your enthusiasm has dulled a little, and you're not teaching the students with the same gutso that you normally would lunchtime you come back to the staff room and again nobody wants to talk to you and they move so what you do is you protect yourself you go to your desk rather than sit at the communal table and that hour that lunch break is excruciating because you're behind you they're all chit-chatting and you're at your desk thinking what is going on now, as an adult, as a teacher, what will happen is, A, you'll lose your motivation to teach with enthusiasm. B, you'll probably look for another job and you'll probably leave. But our kids can't do that. They're stuck in that environment where nobody talks to them, where people move away from them. And, and I'm just talking about the passive bullying here. There could be active bullying going on as well. But this is the passive bullying that... People don't notice. It's sort of ignored or invisible. So what happens is our, our kids lose the motivation to learn because if you're familiar with Maslow's hierarchy of needs, um, you know, you need your, your, your basic level needs met first, your food, your water, your oxygen, then you go up to your safety. And if those needs are met, you, the next need that needs to be met is your that sense of belonging. Now, if that sense of belonging is not met, you can't move up to the next level, which is um, self-improvement. So our kids won't be interested in learning their maths or their reading or their English. So we can knock our heads against a wall and try and get their academics going. If they don't feel safe, so if they're being bullied, they don't feel safe. If they don't feel they 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 belong then they're not going to want to read the book or learn their times table in fact they'll just wallow in misery and it can manifest in either maladaptive forms of behavior that's when you get the um you know the the aggression coming through or it can manifest in anxiety or depression so if we don't address those issues then bigger bigger issues develop and they just escalate.
Mm. How can parents identify if their child is getting bullied? Because a lot of the times, you know, the the child isn't going to come home and say, oh, mum, I was bullied today. Um, like with Richard, he, he didn't come home and say anything. He might not be understanding it. Um, and like you said, a lot of the times they will internalize it and they may be too embarrassed or afraid to say anything to anyone. So are there any red flags that parents can... Um, to red flags parents can keep in mind when they're looking out for bullying? Yeah. Well, for physical bullying, it's the physical signs, the bruises. Richard did have bruises when he was at that very first school um, and we tried to address them, but it was brushed under the carpet. So the physical signs can be a bit easier to, to notice. But the, the other signs are um, ask who are their friends. If they can't name any friends, they're probably alone at lunchtime. Ask them, what do you do at lunchtime? Ask the teachers, what do they do at lunchtime? Try and get more information um, as to what they do and how they do it. If if you ask, um, would you like a birthday party, and they say no, um, the reason could be is they don't have anyone to invite. That's a red flag when they've got no one to invite to their party. Or if um, you know, and, and you know in primary school, There are parties going on all the time. If your child is never invited, that's a red flag. So if if these things are happening, it's worthwhile having a conversation with the teacher and talking about how important it is for your child to feel included uh, because it is extremely damaging and they just lose motivation. So that's what I would look for. Mm. And I think that's important too. You were talking, it's talking about advocacy. So the parents going in to advocate uh, for their child when they're talking to the teacher. Do you have any tips on what they might talk about in that conversation or what, how they can best advocate for their child? Yeah, it's really important to go in with um, a partnership approach. So remember that the teachers have 30 children under their care and each one probably has, you know, his or her own issue. So try not to go in with um, an adversarial approach. Um, it more of a, you know, I, I always approached it with, um, I, I would start with thank you. Thank you so much for seeing me and thank you so much for, um, you know, all that you do for Richard. Um, there's a couple of issues that I would love to discuss with you because I think we need to be um, doing the same thing at home that you're doing at school. Um, So I'd love to know what you're working on and then get the conversation started that way. Um, Always make it about um, supporting what's being done at school. And, and in fact, that's that's how it should be, but... um, Often the teachers don't realise that, you know, that's that's what you'd like to do. And show them that you're on their side. Show them that you appreciate their constraints and their limitations and tell them that, you know, we're on the same team. If you ever need me, please call me if I can be of any assistance, if you've got any questions, if um, there's an issue. I always used to tell Richard's teachers, you know, I'm not... Um, I'm not overly sensitive. So if Richard's doing something of concern, please let me know because I'd like to address the problem rather than let it get, um, you know, bigger and out of control. So if you let them know that you're just another support for them, 
they'll open up more. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think they're really important points. And um, yeah, I think, like you said, it's important to focus on the solution. So working together to, to have a solution. And I think in order to be able to communicate effectively, um, you need to go in calm. Like I think sometimes parents can get so worked up because they're so passionate about it. Um, but yeah, I think being able to communicate effectively, you need to be calm and, and present. Yes, absolutely. Being calm is key. There were times in the early years when I would just burst into tears and that that's really um, confronting for a teacher, I think. Um, so try and, and calm yourself somehow or, or bring someone in with you so that if you feel yourself choking up, um, just hand over. And, and I used to say that to my husband. I said, listen, if you sense that I'm choking up, please jump in. And we had that understanding, so he would do that. Um, because it is, especially for a mother who's, you know, so focused, um, it can be quite overwhelming. Um, so, you know, sometimes having someone else, if your husband, if you're a single mum, bring a friend with you or if your husband's working or your partner's working, just bring someone else in with you so that when you do feel you're starting to lose it, you can hand over. I can always tell I start to go red and my choke, my throat sort of used to get really tight. So I would look over and give the nod. Um, so we had signals worked out. You've got a plan. Um, I also uh, learned that it's best to walk in with a plan with uh, and have dot points um, so that if you do feel that you're losing it a bit, just taking a moment to look down at a piece of paper and read through the dot point, it gives you time to sort of calm down a bit and to go back. And the teachers see that you're prepared, that you're not just coming in for, for an argument, you're coming in for a discussion. Mm, yeah, yeah, well said. Now let's head to your mates program. So you've developed this wonderful and very much needed um, program for children on the spectrum uh, that is run at schools. Now can you Tell us a little bit about this. Yeah, sure. Well, um, MATES is an acronym for MATES Assisting to Engage Socially. And, um, you know, our Australian society, one of the pillars of, of our society is MATES and mateship. Um, but unfortunately, it's not, you know, something that all our kids enjoy. Uh, certainly my son didn't. And... I absolutely believe that kids by nature are caring and that um, nastiness is a learned behaviour. And and also sometimes they just don't have the tools. They don't know what to do. So this is a structured program that gives them um, an gives them a framework um, uh, how to approach our kids but it's not for all students it's a leadership it's a social inclusion and leadership program and the language is key um, I'm trying to shift the thinking around our kids from a charity or a pity model to a leadership and empowerment model so students um, put their hand up and apply uh, apply to become mates leaders and they're chosen, uh, there's an application process and the teachers will uh, choose the leader. And the leader is then given the same status as a class captain, a school captain, a house captain, sporting, debating, whatever captain. So they're in the leadership team at school. So they go to the leadership camps and, and whatever. And 
we shift the onus from the teachers because teachers are overloaded already. If I say to the teachers, I've got a program for you, they're most likely to say, no, thank you. Um, so we the onus is um, shifted from the teacher to the student and the student is paired up with a student in their year group with, uh, with uh, they're paired up with someone who either has autism or social interaction issues. Um, and where a traditional buddy system is a year 12 with a year 7 or a year 6 with a kindy child, this is at the same year level, and that's crucial because um, they're together on the playground. Quite often, year 12 and year 7, different playgrounds, um, they're in the same playground, they're in the same class uh, or homeroom or, you know, they're interacting a lot more. So often Richard would say to me, nobody spoke to me today. So initially the mates leader is taught just to say hello and goodbye and then eventually build up that relationship and hopefully an organic friendship will develop because um, our kids find it difficult to approach um, somebody and start uh, a conversations that can lead to friendship. So it's initially an artificially created friendship with the idea that over time it will become a genuine friendship. Now, because the mate's leader is given a le given leadership status, then they won't be picked on by the other kids for, you know, talking to the odd child in the school or inviting them to sit with them because they know that that's what they're meant to be doing. So what happens by having a few mates leaders in the school they're modelling the correct behaviour. They're not telling kids what to do. Kids are so over being told what to do, what to think, when to eat, when to do this. They're just watching and hopefully um, in time this behaviour will be modelled by other um, students, again, organically. And the idea is to empower Students And in the presentation where I explain the MATES program, I talk to them about the power of changing, not changing the world is a big ask, but changing one person's world, world, it's quite doable. And they have the power themselves to reset the standards of inclusion in their school and to, to just say, this is, this is what we allow in our school playground. This is the way it's going to be. So we empower them to to say to everybody, this is how it's going to be in this school. That, that's it. It's simple. It's proactive. <clears throat> I walk into schools and there's signs, bullying no way, bully-free zone. That's all reactive. You know, no child is going to go up and say, bully-free zone, you're not allowed to bully here. So this is about protecting preventing the bullying from taking place because bullies are normally cowardly. So they'll target the child who's alone. So if the child isn't alone, they're less likely to be bullied. That's that's it in a nutshell. Mm, oh, it's amazing, amazing inclusion program. Um, I'm curious, how many schools are implementing this program? It was piloted last year in Sydney schools. This year I um, spent the time uh, getting it onto an online platform and it's ready for launch next year. 
Rich and I just presented at a, a school, uh, a private school locally, and it looks like they're going to be on board. I've got lots of schools um, who have emailed me saying, "Let me know when it's, let us know when it's ready." It's ready now, and 2018 will be the launch year. And um, I'm thrilled to say that <clears throat> the um, program itself has been has just received a silver award in the. CV International Women in Business Awards in the um, Best New Service or a Product or Service category, which is fabulous because I was up against um, some great services and, and products. And um, hopefully all of that will give it the push. My goal is to get this into every school in Australia and, you know, hopefully worldwide, but let's start with Australia. It's a big goal, but do you know what? It's so needed because there are so many schools that say, oh, we don't have bullying at, at our school. Really? Do you have a library that's open at lunchtime? Are there regular students who go there? They're probably protecting themselves from bullying or talk to the students. I have students tell me we have bullying in our school but the teachers don't want to know about it. Mm. So I'd love this in every school. It's ready for launch now. The pilot's done and dusted. The videos have been recorded. It's, um, it's, I wanted it to be accessible for remote schools also. So, <clears throat> so for schools who can't have me, sorry. You're right. For schools who can't have me come in and do the training, <clears throat> it's all online and I'm contactable on Facebook, email, Done a lot of talk. No, that's all right. Yeah, firstly, congratulations on your award. And I am totally with you. I think it is an amazing program. I think what you're doing is just fabulous for the autism community. And I agree, it should be in every school in Australia um, because there are so many kids. You know, there is undoubtedly um, a child at every school who has, um, who is excluded, who is feeling this way, who. isn't part of a group or have any friendship groups and you know it's so hard for the children and it's so hard for the whole family I think it impacts on the whole family because everyone feels that pain 100% it impacts the entire family siblings are affected and they're often, um, you know, forgotten victims of bullying as well. Um, they're, they're very much affected. But it's not – the MATES program um, can actually be applied to students who don't have autism. You don't have to have autism to benefit from this. Um, students who uh, experience social exclusion due to um, – you know, maybe they're just extremely introverted or shy or um, English is their second language or uh, physical disabilities, um, ethnicity, obesity, whatever it is that they're, they're, they feel different and they're excluded. Mm-hmm. This is about um, fostering um, that, that sense of... Um, camaraderie and inclusion in a school and empowering the students to foster that themselves rather than the teacher saying you will be inclusive absolutely yeah it's it's giving them the students that leadership role showing them what they can be doing how they can be more inclusive and i think it's really important too um for the older kids when they're stepping out into the community so um they become aware that there are there's a whole range of different people out there in the world, you know, and to be inclusive and be mindful of this. 
Definitely. What what this program will also do is create a generation of um, a generation of of young people who will go out there and be mindful that there are people who do need some sort of um, guidance. Um, a generation of of young people who will take responsibility. You know, we talk about looking after our environment. We talk about um, looking after all sorts of things. We're priming these students to 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 go out and to be leaders. Whatever it whatever issue it is that needs to be addressed when these students are out of school, they're ready to step up and to become leaders. And um, you know, I, I had. In, in one of the pilot schools, it was a, a girls' high school, um, we needed probably about six or eight students to apply to be considered um, to be a mates leader. After my presentation, I presented to years seven to ten, 60, six, zero students stayed back to apply for the leadership position. And the head of wellbeing said, what are we going to do with 60? Said, well, I have no clue. Oh, I know. how about I hold a leadership workshop for them? She said, do you have one? I said, oh, write one. And I did. And I presented a leadership workshop to these young students who were so keen. And that just reinforces my view that they want to do something. They want to make a difference but they just don't know how and they wanted to know, to be shown the way. Um, so our kids do want to step up. Uh, they just need the tools and really the permission um, by giving them that title. Mm. Mm. Now, what about the community? What about for kids who um, maybe they're catching the bus home or they're out on the playground so that they don't have a mate um, to look out for them and to help support them. What, what do you suggest um, to help build up confidence and um, resilience in kids? That, that's a tricky one because um, I, I, we experienced that situation. Richard had finished school. He was doing his transition to work training and we were so proud of him. He was catching the bus um, unassisted, uh, you know, quite a distance Um I'm in Sydney. For, it was from Maroubra to Rockdale, which is a good 45 minutes um, by bus. And on his way home, he was actually uh, targeted by a group of, of young boys. And he phoned me and I could hear the fear in his voice. And he said, Mum, the boys are being mean to me and they're throwing chewing gum at me and they're laughing at me. I said, where are you? He told me where he was. I said, just stay there. I'm coming to get you. And it was in a shop. It was uh, the bus stop was just outside a shopping centre. He said, "No, Mum, I don't want you to come and get me. I'm I'm out of school now, and I want to do it." And I thought, well, I don't want to disempower him. If he wants to handle it, I was really quite upset about it. But it seemed I was more upset than he was, and I had to respect the fact that he wanted to deal with it his way. It also made me feel very proud. But what I think, what upset me about that situation was he was at a bus stop. So there were, I asked him, are there other people around? He said, yes. And then a girl picked up the phone and said, 
it's okay, um, just ask him to step away. So I had a, a quick chat with this young girl. She was a school student and I said, are there adults around? And she said, oh, yeah, there's lots. I said, well, thank you so much. She said, look, it's, it's under control now. Everything's calmed down. I was so disappointed in the bystander behaviour. I think the statistic is 80, 87% of bullying incidents occur in front of other people. So that means people are watching and doing nothing, and that's called bystander behaviour. I think we need to educate the community um, to step up and intervene when something like that is happening. Uh, sadly, that doesn't happen enough. So I've got another mates program called Model Mates. Um, I've seen where... this. It looks amazing. <laughs> so much fun. <laughs> I want this in every state. I'm working towards it. I'm going to get this happening in every shopping centre. If any of the Westfield managers are listening, I'm targeting Westfield, so give me a call. Um, it's it, it, Basically, I thought, well, how can I get this message out that our kids, you know, need to be um, included in society. I want to present them on the most elite stage. What's the most elite stage? Fashion, fashion and modelling. I'll be the first to say I can't cut, cut it on the catwalk. I'm certainly no size six or size eight. I'm not six foot tall. Um, so I thought I want to put our kids on an elite platform and celebrate them. So I, the first event was last year at Castle Towers and I had them not a fat model, um, but I had them model alongside professional models. The metaphor was they're on an elite stage side by side with the beautiful professional models and they stood up and they rocked that catwalk. It was amazing. It was empowering for them, empowering for the audience, empowering for the mothers. I had mothers in tears because people were cheering and celebrating their kids. Now, how often have I attended school assemblies where I've clapped for everyone getting awards? Um, but that night, it was about our kids. Um, it was interesting. The night before, we had to do a, a rehearsal. And they, it was a disaster. I thought, oh, my God, what have I done? <laughs> um, but they're smarter than I am. There was no audience, so they just sort of shuffled their way through. But when it was lights, camera, action, they just, they worked that catwalk, the one that pirouetted and the one that blew the kiss and the one that <laughs> hands and the swagger. They were magnificent. And um, there was a cocktail party after the event last year and they were approaching the VIPs, the mayors, the media. It was amazing. Um, this year we had one little girl, oh, God bless her, she was gorgeous. She was so scared. The first walk, her mum walked with her. Second walk, she pirouetted and stomped down the catwalk. I had one mum come up and tell me, do you know, years of psychology, speech therapy, occupational therapy have not had the effect on my child that this one day has had. And it was because they were celebrated. I didn't have it in a school hall where just the special needs community was invited. It was front and centre in a shopping centre. And, and the centre management told me that 
this event drew more crowds than the professional um, fashion parade with the celebrity stylists and the professional models. So my aim, we've already got our date for next year, um, but it's just one date. I want more dates. So come on, Westfield managers, hit me up. Um, I want to get that message out there to the community that our kids are here. They, kids with People with disability represent one in every five Australians. So retailers, businesses, you don't want to ignore the disability dollar, one in five. And I put them out there on the stage and let them just show people what they could do. And following that, I interviewed them all. And Richard said, I'm a public speaker. Straight after the show, an author came up to me and said, would Richard um, launch my book, which he did. He got a job as a as a model in a photo shoot. Um, two weeks after the event, I got a call saying, well, Richard said he, he likes to model. You know, I've, we're reshooting a catalogue. Could he be in it? After that, he was so good, that person said to me, Rich should get an agent. You should get him an agent. <laughs> Do you think? She said, yes, please, agent now. So by putting them out there and showing people what we need, what they need, then we open doors. We we get the conversation started. Too often, people don't talk about the situation, um, you, you know, we keep this brave face, you know, we put our mask on and everything's okay. It's not okay. Our kids need to be acknowledged. They need the employment opportunities. They need to be celebrated. They need to be included. Um, so that's mm. that's model mates um, yeah. and a few other things, but, but that's what I'm focusing on now, schoolmates and model mates. Yeah. Well, it sounds like the model mates program is almost therapeutic. Um, it is. You know, focusing, social skills, confidence, self-esteem, and these are things that are happening in the real-life context of their life. So like you said, um, some children weren't getting some benefits from certain types of therapy, but put in the real-life context of life and um, is just working wonders. And, you know, they they can build on that confidence and they um, – they, they, like you said, they're on that world stage and just showing everyone that they do matter and that they have potential and they can do what everyone else can do. Yeah, for sure. They just need opportunity. And and the more we talk about it, then we can start to eliminate that bystander behaviour and people will step up because it's not such a foreign concept. Everybody's talking about it. Mm. Was there anything else you wanted to discuss about inclusion before we head to our five rapid-fire questions? Um, Is there anything we missed? Anything we missed? Um, Do you know what? People have this bizarre impression that inclusion um, looks like, and and Richard's involved in some of these um, social programs, where he turns up with a, a group of other young people like him and they all travel together as a group and they go to the movies or they go and see a show and then they come back as a group and then we pick them up that's not inclusion they're still in an invisible cage together that cage is being moved from here to here and back again inclusion means interaction and that's what's missing 
it's not about segregating. It's not about taking them out as a group within their group and moving them from place to place. It's about mixing within the community. And that to me is inclusion. Mm. And yeah, I think I think after that we've covered everything <laughs> I've could Yeah, I think that's really important. I think that's really important to understand. Um, because we don't we don't always have that full understanding of what inclusion is and I think it is different for everyone what inclusion yeah. actually means. Mm. Yeah. Alrighty, so the five rapid fire questions. Number one, what is one habit that parents can implement today? Well, I think so many people, um, uh, professionals, take away your hope in the early years. So keep keep your hope alive. Look for the positives. Look for the blessings. And, um, you know, there's always something good that happens in a day. Look for that and, and just acknowledge it at the end of the day. Mm, beautiful. And number two, what do people never ask you that you wish they did? Well, back in the day when I'd be reprimanded by the men in the supermarket, you know, I would have loved for somebody to just come up and say, how can I help? Or um, even if a friend would phone me and say, look, you know, you haven't been out with us for so long. Uh, how about I just come and have a cup of coffee with you at your place? Something yeah. like that. Just reach out. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think so many other parents can resonate with that. Number three, what book would you recommend that all parents read? You've got uh, your own book as well, Dealing with Autism. Did she? That one? Yeah. Autism. <laughs> but I, I, there is one that I love. I've read this recently, Thrive by Ariana Huffington. I really love it. Um, it's, I mean, she's such a mover and a shaker. She's so inspiring. And, you know, she talks about mindfulness and, and living in the present. So often as autism parents where, you know, we lie awake thinking what happens when I'm gone, um, what happens when they're older, um, we're, we're living too much into the future and we've got to focus on the present and think, you know what, my kid's done this today and for, him, for any other kid that would have been really tough, really easy. But for mine, it was a huge, huge achievement. Wow. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. All righty, number four, what is one of your top three unfinished bucket list items? Oh, my God, just three? <laughs> well, just okay. your top one. What's your, what's your number one? <laughs> moment is to get model mates into Australian Fashion Week and then after that New York Fashion Week. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. Dreaming big, and why not? Why not? I I can definitely, I can see it happening. That's for sure. (laughs) And number five, if you could only offer one piece of advice to parents, what would it be? There's always hope. There's always hope. Doesn't matter what they say. I was told my son would never ever speak. We've just come back from a speaking gig where he got the reception of a rock star. They were screaming and cheering for him at the end of his speech and he was amazing. So there's always hope from being told he'll never speak to he's a public speaker now. Just remember there's always hope. 
That's a beautiful message. And I think you are a superstar. I think what you're doing is amazing. Your work, um, you know, the hours that you must put into this and advocacy and inclusion, it's just amazing. And I can't wait to see it all unfold um, in terms of the, the mates program that you're running. So well done. Um, and thank you. Thank you from, from me and all the parents and the teachers who are listening. It's amazing what you've been able to achieve. Oh, thank you, Rhiannon, for for giving our kids a voice. Thank you. Thanks, Randa. I'll talk to you later. Bye. Bye. I hope that today's show has resonated with you in some way, and I hope that you have been inspired to take action and make positive change from home base. If there is someone you know who would benefit from this podcast, please share it. And I would love for you to join our Home Base Hope community. You can do this by subscribing to this podcast. All you have to do is head on over to iTunes and hit the subscribe button. And every fortnight, you will get an instant notification of the latest interview. If you do like this show, please jump on iTunes and leave a five-star review so more people can discover us and so we can inspire positive change in more people living on the spectrum. If you do leave a five-star review, please take a screenshot and send it to info at homebasehope.com.au with the subject line free ebook. And I will send you a copy of our awesome ebook, Understanding Behaviors. In this book, I show you how to manage challenging behaviors at school, at home, and in therapy. I talk about the differences between tantrums, meltdowns, and button pushing. And I also arm you with practical strategies you can start using today. You can access all of the show notes and other episodes at homebasehope.com.au. So until next time, I encourage you to open your mind, respect the differences, and above all, believe that you can make a difference from home base. See you soon, guys. This year, the Wellness Summit returns. I realised in this time that I couldn't keep waiting for love from other people. I couldn't keep expecting love from other sources. But I had to give that to myself. Yanni says, I don't care if everyone says that the kitchen is the woman's world. He says, I'm going to prepare food. I love my own cheese. I love my own wine. I don't care what you think of my new flat screen TV. He just loves company. I started asking myself more often, what do I want? Such a simple question, isn't it? When you think that, and I'm sure all of you sitting there, when you think that, something springs into your mind. And there's something there that you want that you haven't been doing for yourself. Brett Hill and Marcus Pierce feature at the 2018 Wellness Summit. Bigger and better than ever. Tickets on sale Friday, May 4 at thewellnesssummit.com. This has been a production of thewellnesscouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com forward slash thewellnesscouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives. Whilst the Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of the Wellness Couch podcasts.